So, welcome to this edition of Janeway's Children. Today, as my beloved colleagues Natalie and Jennifer know, we will be discussing the episode The 37s. Very good, Jamie. I'm going to say something that... Um... No one has ever said to me before. No, no, that the lead singer of Blink-182 said on Sunday night at the concert in Amsterdam, you're the best third grade class ever, or maybe more appropriately, you're the best third grade teacher ever. (laughs) Because when you were speaking, you sounded for a minute like you were reading to like, like if I read any book, it sounds like I'm reading to a child. So uh, I think you veered slightly into, um, but I'm sure any of our young listeners will be very happy with that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But did I get the episode right? Yes, you did, of course. Oh, the 37s, <laughs> is it? Oh, good. Cool. I think that's, I, I figured that's why he was talking slowly, because he was thinking, actually, I've forgotten the title of this, <laughs> this episode. I, I'd also like to point out, I didn't really get given much choice. Red sort of went, would you like to introduce this? Three, two, one, go. Pressed <laughs> 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 record, yeah. <laughs> well, Anything you're going to give me some look. Unflappable friend in the spotlight. Back chat, so I was just going to. But you did a brilliant job. You did a brilliant I, job. I hadn't given you any back chat yet, Red. My goodness. I said you were going to, and I anticipated. <laughs> I mean, I is to... it anticipation if you provoke it? Uh, let's not get into that discussion. Um, <laughs> Red, why, why don't you want to discuss it? it's not anticipation if it's prov- provoked? Or oh, I just think you have to We want to talk about the episode, that's why. Yeah. Um, nothing to do with you, Jamie, but I have a very tangential mind. Um, but I have already put you on the spot once with the introduction, but would you be happy to give us your one minute summary? Wow. I, I'm actually going to ad lib this one. He says frantically playing for time. <laughs> okay. I personally think it's an episode in which, uh, the plot of a Scientologist fantasy of humans being abducted and overthrowing an alien civilization gets given full shrift because of the fact that the producers chose to indulge Mr. Tom Paris's penchant for 1937 vehicles. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. Didn't see an uh, interesting perspective. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they keep me around for, Red. Interesting perspectives. It's what earns me the big bucks. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, I'm not going to try to add anything, but... <laughs> I, I wish I could subtract what had just been said from the actual uh, record, but... Well, uh, I mean, you... as no one listens to this podcast, but I listened to another podcast that discusses true crime, and they said they never do anything Scientology-related, because they're afraid that the Scientologist, Scientology church will come after them. And they're like, oh. they basically did this disclaimer, like, never come after us, we'll never do Scientology. So that's maybe why I made a face when Jamie um, wrote them in. But, um, well, it was a massive smile, yeah. What do you have against the Scientologists, Red? My goodness. <laughs> and I'd just like to say that my interpretation of this episode's interpretation places them in a very positive light. <laughs> well, I have to be honest, I don't know enough about Scientology to make any comment, but I definitely tapped into <laughs> my fears as a child of being abducted as an alien, by aliens, <laughs> so that was more my... Yeah. My, my, Sh- um... shall, I, shall I take a slightly more serious run-up at this? Go for it. Uh, the crew wonder why they're sensing rust in space when iron can't oxidise, follow the trail, find a random vehicle from the mid-20th century... Uh, planet Earth history floating in space 
in which there is a transmitter generating an SOS. Okay, Jamie, Jamie. To... <laughs> no, too much? <laughs> That's not a one-minute summary. <laughs> okay. Um, b- before we before we dive in, I just, uh, before we get our initial reactions and get back to what Jamie was saying, um, I had to share with you that I've, my, I think I told you my friends got me Murder, She Wrote on DVD. So I have been plowing through those episodes. And it's a lot of fun to see all the guest stars from Star Trek before they were on Star Trek. So oh, wow. Captain Janeway, Odo, LaForge. Seriously? Are, are they all on Murder, She Wrote? Yeah, on Murder, oh. She Wrote. It's a lot of fun. Wow. Oh, what a breeding ground for talent that exactly. I never realized. Exactly. Oh, I might have to start watching that. Um, yeah, and the one that, uh, oh, I forgot her name now, but Captain Janeway, she's the murderer. So that was very exciting. <gasps> Brilliant. Uh, make... Captain Janeway murdered someone. This episode read, what are you trying to say here? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. No, I think so... she's a good murderer, actually. Not, not in a you know derogatory way. I just think, you know, the... Uh, Captain Janeway the character intent. or actor? The, the actress, I think she'd do a great job of that sort of, you know, really? um, hidden, Interesting. hidden psychological depths. <laughs> oh, Jenny, I think we lost some of you there. Oh. Did you? No, no, I, I didn't say anything beyond interesting. No, I said Jenny. Oh, sorry. Jenny? It's not that, it's not like your, I'm not sure if it's related to your, I, I, also your picture is blurry. Or is that just me, Jenny? Um, what do you see? Uh, I see Jenny sort of looking at her screen anxiously, um, <laughs> but that's normally what happens when I open my mouth on these affairs. Is this uh, a- she, so she's not blurry for you. A little blurry. She's sort of frozen as well. Um, quick, let's say let's say mean things about her uh, while she's sort of unable to answer oh, back. I heard that she once looked at a kitten cross-eyed. <laughs> I don't really know what to do to improve it. Um, oh, we can hear you now. Yeah, that's like... Say something, Johnny. It. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, yes. It just, it's got incredibly blurry. Maybe rub the camera screen? No, no, no rubbing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're in the room that must probably have the best internet is, or you near the mm. router. You, you could try coming downstairs to the room which actually has the router in, Jen. Which is the plant room? Yeah, do you want me to do that? Um, might... I'm easy. What do you think, Jean? I mean, we could give it another go, and then you might have to move. Yeah. Or we could. Um... She seems to have unblurred. Maybe the alien abduction was successful, or unsuccessful. Sorry. Go on, you guys carry on. And I oh, know. I think that is um... better. Yeah, it is. You there? Um. I'm going to have to do some editing. <laughs> Just more so than usual. More so than usual. I I actually found this one one of the episodes that engaged me a lot more solidly than most. Wow. Um, I don't know what it was. I, I just... It, it was the combination of something so completely random as... Um, well, finding a truck floating in outer space to something completely familiar and I think the real human touch of the fact that Tom Paris is just completely into this vehicle but completely into the sort of attitude that your typical petrol head enthusiast would have anyway in that he indulges his hobby and manages to annoy Tuvok by <laughs> turning the vehicle on when they find it um, and that sort of really got me and that sucked me into the rest of the episode in a sort of engaged and slightly more fun and less serious 
uh, sort of way than I might have otherwise done. Yeah, it was cool. And your initial reactions, Jenny? Uh, well, um, <laughs> I think you're going to have a differing opinion. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm afraid. What did you is, say to me over supper an hour ago about this it? This is one of the ones that I often skip. Actually, um, yeah, I just doesn't really find. I don't really find it very engaging. I'm not really <laughs> sure why. Um, like, I quite enjoy the last ten minutes, <laughs> but up until that point, um, I don't know. I think maybe I'm just not that interested in the like um, Amelia Earhart and um, you know old old cars i guess i don't hmm. know um but i did find this sort of philosophical dilemma at the in the last 10 minutes quite interesting oh that was engaging that was yeah. so engaging yeah um, and I, I enjoyed some of janeway's acting in that hmm. yeah i think for me it's also probably not one of my favorites but the and i think all the i realize now when i think of a good scene i think of like something that's very emotive Mm. Like very, and so that all happens at the end. I think that probably covers the last thing mm. I was going to say. So um, I probably, and also I've got to say, Amelia Ahart's like hair just really distracted him or her wig or something. Just yeah, I, I, I literally, as we said that though, I just Googled her and like her wiki entry and they actually got an actress who looked exactly like her and the hair as well is like complete oh. replica. Well, I, uh, I, got, I did get excited when I saw the actress because I have watched Rosalia Niles and she's in there. And I'm like, I know her, but I didn't know ooh. her like 20 years ago when I watched it as a child. Ooh. What was she in? Sharon, her name is Sharon Lawrence, I think. Um, I mean, she's in, she's been in a lot, like NYPD Blue, uh, tons of stuff, but I just know mm. her from Rosalia and Isles. Ah, Zodi and Isles. Zodi and Isles. It's, I wouldn't recommend it, but it's a crime drama, so I've watched it. <laughs> Okay. No okay. offense to anyone on Brazilian Isles. I really enjoy it, but it's not like it's not brilliant. I have to be um, honest, I still don't know what the name is from you saying that. Yeah, exactly. I always oh. said to me, You should watch Brazilian Isles, you should watch Brazilian Isles, because I knew I like crime dramas and I was like, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. Oh Rizzoli and yes. Isles. Oh, that's what's come up as I put in Zoli and Isles yes, uh, into Google. Not that I'm not 100% focused on the subject matter in hand, and uh, not that I'm not diving around all over the place. Okay, well, um, anything to add to your initial reactions? I think we've got like a two a split here, two one. Interesting to hear that you were really sucked in, Jamie. So you were already um, taking us through the teaser. Do you want to take us from the rust to the kind of automobile floating in space? Well, yeah, it's sort of an interesting start from uh, the bridge of Voyager and effectively sensors picking up something that to uh, to us, uh, 20th century and 21st century denizens, sounds very much like the residue of a car when they're talking about there's, you know, iron oxide in space. And Janeway questioning, does someone want to tell me how in an atmosphere where there's no oxygen something is rusting out here uh, and that's effectively being the trail of breadcrumbs that leads them uh, to what they discover is a floating truck which is possibly one of the more random objects that a star trek crew has discovered in my experience um Agreed. but yeah i i, I love I, I absolutely loved their sort of reaction to it and um I also love the fact that um, when they go and investigate it, there's a complete twist because you go from this atmosphere of something completely familiar, um, 
but in a completely unfamiliar setting that Tom Paris then goes into. Yeah, so you completely... us into oh. Act One, I think. So before we yes. get to Jenny, anything on the teaser? I mean, I just thought it was a bit surreal when you see this truck floating, floating in space, not what I expected. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, do you know what? I think I'm probably going to have uh, probably not as much to say in the first mm. <laughs> the first half. I was thinking this when I was watching it. I was like, I think one thing that happens when you're not as engaged as ever is it's, you don't naturally uh, sort of come up with uh, yeah. comments. You don't, you don't bring the verbal diarrhea that I do. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't have as many um, reactions in my brain <laughs> to it, <laughs> um, if that makes any sense. Um, but uh, mm. I feel like I have more to say on the, on the, as we... Okay, go well, towards the end just buzz in if we uh... <laughs> <laughs> buzz in i can do some of the um due to red's fabulous um act notes i could do some of the descriptions so oh, if, oh yes sorry i have kind of messed them up in my own um so i'll think about that next time um because i put my own notes into those things and i split them up so i can't remember what is the description i put in and what uh, is my own notes if that makes sense oh interesting um, but yes, I think in Act One, we're in the cargo bay and they're investigating this truck. And Tom Paris, as you've said, is the petrol head and he identifies it as a 1936 Ford truck. And this scene, oh, I think, did. is very humorous, Jamie. So there are a lot I of. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Sorry, I cut across to you just because I was about to jump in. Well, uh, I, and... I think one that you might not have found as funny as me is when Tom, like Tom is describing it, and Harry's like, is this a precursor to the hovercraft? <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, I love that. I absolutely oh, that love that. Funny, but yeah. but I, I, I just, the idea that something this primitive was a precursor to the hovercraft, I actually found that hilarious. But I also found it really hilarious when Tuvok starts uh, introducing, almost introducing the scene uh, telling the crew that this is a mid 20th century Earth vehicle, and Tom Paris just cuts across him in probably one of the only instances where Tom Paris will show a more in depth expertise on any subject than Tuvok and says, Actually, it's a 1937's Ford to be precise. Uh, and I just find that equally funny, actually. Oh, I missed that moment, unfortunately. I, I mean, it, it did happen to your fav- favorite uh, security officer. But, um, yes, maybe I just block out when he's disrespected. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I find it really funny. And then he manages to switch the engine on. Um, and uh, Tuvok says, uh, we must clear the bay and we must also fumigate <laughs> as though uh, the exhaust streams are just utterly, utterly unbearable. Yes, I think, yeah, I mean, that was... Um... Uh, when Tom Paris is like getting into the car because they figure out they can probably start it, he's like, "This is before voice command activation." Wow, that was telling there should be something called a key. A key, but again, it's like oh, I live in the future that they describe because we voice activate command many things. And yes, when the engine backfired and like everyone like ducks yeah, to the ducks for cover and two volt draws. <laughs> it's very funny. Um. Um, and also, this is the moment in my life where I discovered that AM stands for Amplitude Modulation. Mm, me too. I didn't discover that this episode. I actually I'm, said. I'm, I'm afraid I did, yeah. But I was, I was yeah. thinking this is probably really embarrassing that I actually had no idea what AM radio no. is. And to, to be clear, I didn't discover it this episode. I discovered it this conversation. Not, I wasn't trying to say I already knew that. I was saying I was missed saying, that detail. I wasn't trying no, to be like really now. patronizing. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I feel a lot better. Um, so they are playing around with the radio, and Balana mm. identifies this like sound this beep, beep, as an mm. ancient distress call, which they identify as SOS. 
Um, and they're kind of like, well, Janeway wants to know why they haven't discovered it before now. Mm. And it's because it's too slow, <laughs> basically. Uh, it's not like a standard frequency that, uh, I guess, starships and mm. use. Um, and so I guess at this point, this uh, once they need to find the source of this distress signal, which leads them to the discovery of this L-class planet, um, which has, for some reason, they can't take a shuttle to. Uh, Trinimic interference. Thank you. Me. Storms. Ah, so they have to land the whole of Voyager. Well, I guess <laughs> they have to land Voyager. <laughs> I, from, oh. Yes, Are you doing the Star Trek I, I, salute or putting your hand up? I'm putting my hand up. This is, this is one bit that did stick in my memory from the first Great. half. Um, I was just sort of intrigued by the uh, the amount of drama um, <laughs> from the musical background ground landing so sort of you have Janeway stand up and say we're going to land the ship or something of that ilk and uh, this this beautiful uh melody swells and the strings come out and then the whole way through the landing stirring uh, yeah there's a there's this uh real um I don't know how to describe like patriotic kind of theme song Um, yeah it's just uh I don't know I guess I was kind of curious about what uh I guess it's to indicate that it's a big deal that they're landing the starship I mean, yes. Tom, pa- Tom Paris, pilot par excellence, had never landed a starship before. Can you believe that? Um, I and find it very... had the skipper. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we do find that out. But I, I didn't notice the music because, as I say, when I'm taking all these notes, I miss a lot of things, um, mm. miss some things. But that is very interesting. But it's also kind of, and not to say it's because they're using a CGI, but that was quite a big deal having that scene with like CGI mm. and I wonder if they wanted like with the music and CGI and make it like more emotional or something. And then while mm. you're just feeling like you're looking at something animated, if you can tell. Yeah. Or more cinematic maybe. Yeah. 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 I think it's the cinematic element because. John Paris was going pretty fast. At one point, was he landing at 10,000 KPH? Yeah. Like what the. F- <laughs> 10,000 kilometers in one hour. How many kilometers does that translate to in one second? <laughs> I can't do the maths, but I was like, well, he yeah, looks I, like he's going fast, and then he gave his speed. It's like, he is going fast. <laughs> well, he does say I, later in the episode this. to uh, the uh, Amelia Earhart that he that it can travel at, I think, 4 billion per yeah. second? Kilometers per a second. Per second. Um, I did, I really I did like that. the landing struts, though. Yeah, because yeah, they always use like warp speed. It was I, I quite enjoyed, you know, he's like warp, warp, whatever, which in your terms is four billion kilometers per yeah. second. I appreciate it is, that. <laughs> it is an unusual opportunity for Star Trek to, uh, as a series, to emphasize the the scale of its ships, though, because so very rarely do you actually get the chance to compare, like, oh, so this is the ship on which X many people are and goes X X amount of speed. But you never sort of get to see, well, it's about the size of, you know, a 10-story building, 12-story building, the Pentagon, or something like that, Buckingham Palace. And I think when the ship has actually landed, it's it's such a rare opportunity to see it and see it in its vast sort of majesty and put into proportion by a planet that I think that rousing yeah. music really makes sense and I enjoy it. Yeah. You know what? Now, more more I think about it, more this is a real um, stats comparison episode because they, they also mention about the crew complement, one hundred and I don't know fifty two or something, and then they're talking about the the humans. Uh, well, we'll get to it, but the the, the people on the planet, uh, which is um, I think a hundred thousand. Um, 
and yeah, there's a lot of that sort of comparison, speed comparison going on. Uh, it's yeah, quite interesting. Of numbers yeah. Talking of, they were going at two kilometers a second, two point seven 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 recurring kilometers a second. Wow! Because at one point they were like, I can't, ten kilometers, and then a second later they were two kilometers away from the surface or something. I could be, I could be misremembering that, but I think. Um, Speaking of vo- seeing Voyager on like a planet and getting the scale, uh-huh. that does take uh-huh. us into the next or the second act because I think we have that scene that opens with Voyager in the background, a cruise, uh, some members, uh-huh. crew members have disembarked, and um, eventually they split up into two teams. Uh-huh. One to go find the source of the signal, this SOS, I think, uh-huh. and um, one to I wasn't sure what the other team <laughs> was supposed to be doing, <laughs> but I think looking for like. Well, I think energy source, maybe. I, I, I sort of disagree. I think they'd actually, they'd picked up some unusual energy sources, which yes, okay, transpired to be not the, uh, the cave. Um, oh, um, no, I've, I've, I've got it. I've got it. Actually, Amazingly, yeah. I've actually remembered. Um, there, goes <laughs> one, there goes one team, and then the first thing they see is an Earth aeroplane. Um, yes. which they go in to investigate and powering um, this Earth aeroplane um, tran- transmitting the SOS a signal is an alien um, energy, um, I don't know, battery source? <laughs> um, power source. Yeah, so, uh, oh, now, actually, you know, I think I haven't got it right. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Jenny. Janeway is with that team that finds the aeroplane, but then she gets buzzed by um, Chakotay, and he's like, we found the source of the emanations or whatever and so she joined no they they, uh, they had a mine shaft and then she j- joins Chakotay's team and we could probably skip all this mm. but yes yeah. and we find the cryostasis chambers it's important, it's important we get the detail here goodness guys come on <laughs> well, so let's move we're, on we're doing a bad job aren't we None, none of us. Uh, I think I think this is a, possibly one of the reasons why I disengaged a bit though, because I think out of all three of us, and we we can't none of us remember like the exact details of how it all um, fits together. It might be just a bit um, <laughs> a bit bit too many sort of interweaving, uh, you know, story parts. I'm not sure. Anyway, carry on. Know, with. Yeah, I think a lot of details that we focus on. Obviously, the interesting bit is the cryostasis chambers with eight humans from. And I think by looking at them, they can tell they're from the 1930s. And uh, the only thing I will say here before, because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot to discuss, is Balana actually picks up that they're still alive So in these chains. Yeah. And, and they're all from different, clearly from the markings of uh, their clothing from different backgrounds and cultures. So you have someone who has the eagle wings of a pilot on their badge. You have uh, someone who appears to be wearing Japanese military uniform. Uh, you have uh, a man in sort of office gear, uh, and you have a man who appears to be a farmer as well, which is interesting given Jane Janeway's comment earlier in the episode that she surmised that whoever had driven the truck due to the horse manure and seeds that were stuck in it had probably been a farmer allowing you to draw a very easy causal link there as to whose Ford truck this might have been. Oh, very good point, Jamie. Good catch. I think we also briefly see, I mean, later on, a woman in a sari, so an Indian woman. Um, But yes, it's like a kind of, I guess these aliens came and tried to get like a a sample of humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So actually, I forgot, but the next scene is in the briefing. Oh, no, sorry, I lied. But 
in the scene also, Jamie clears one of the kind of dust off one of these chambers and reads. I don't know why she had to read and spell out instead of just read. Did anyone? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, thought, about I did. I did think that. rather than air. Well, no. she was like, she like reads it. She's like, A period, E A R H. A-R-T. And then she very slowly says, Amelia Earhart. This brain process like is seriously slow. She can't possibly be that slow. She wouldn't be captain of the starship. Maybe she was expecting it not to be English or something. So she was like, let me start up. I feel like maybe this must have been like a stage direction from someone who thought it would be more dramatic if she realized slowly but mm. it isn't very uh in character is it yeah the actress would have just been like can't i just read like an old person <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um yeah. so yes they back in the they actually go back to a briefing room i uh oh sorry just a small comment here i think i might have written it down later but i love seeing like the sky from the windows in the background whenever they you know in rooms on stop on on voyager mm. the blue sky in the background instead of the stars um <laughs> i mean obviously yeah. I love seeing the stars, but it just made a nice change um, in the background. Yeah. And then, so we're in the briefing room, and I thought I laughed because I thought it was this time it was Harry Kim's turn to ask the dumb question: "Who is Amelia Earhart?" Because <laughs> they normally give those um, roles to Paris. Felix. Wouldn't have worked in this case, I guess. Um, well, I mean, I Paris, th- Paris is off there on the planet exploring and boldly going where no man has gone before, apart <laughs> from abducted ones. So you know. Someone's got to do the dumbassing. I, I did quite like that um, that comment though, that question because um, I feel like that's a bit more realistic. Because mm. would they know that much? I mean, however many yeah. hundreds, thousands. Of I mean, this, on, this is a... um, that's probably quite a minor character, yeah. um, and especially it's a very US focused character as well. Um, yeah. Also, that's so... why... oh, sorry. No, no. I mean, the only other sort of reference to history that I, I can sort of remember in a Star Trek movie or uh, indeed episode is actually on uh, the sort of remakes of the uh, first generation Star Trek where Captain Kirk plays the Beastie Boys and um, Spock turns to him and says, is that classical music? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm sure we're going to have some history references again, but... Um... But yes, I think, well, obviously this is a nice opportunity for the audience to learn about Amelia Earhart if they don't know her. And it does turn out later that she is a hero of Janeway. So Janeway knows her history. Um, that She was the first female pilot or well-known female pilot. Um, she disappeared. Mm. And then she does um, say, like, you know, what, no one was sure really what happened to her. But there was this very, the most ridiculed notion was, this, like, she'd been abducted by aliens. Which is <laughs> what obviously... Um, happened as Jacote points out um, mm. but they kind of like they all ask themselves why were they abducted by aliens and if they were abducted by aliens why can't we pick up any aliens in the area so they're a bit um, it's bloody hard to pick aliens up yeah sorry why can't they pick up any aliens with their senses and their technology I mean however you pick someone up red is how you pick them up but, um, <laughs> yeah, or not at all it's, it's bloody hard <laughs> to pick up an alien let me tell you <laughs> Some of us have tried very hard. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to say that, but I, I remember that we, I forgot something from an earlier scene, but basically um, Janeway wants to wake them up because to see if they can get any insights about the Delta Quadrant. And also they realize if someone brought them here, 
to the Delta Quadrant, something there might be a ship or some technology around that could take Voyager back. And yeah, I I thought this was a very um, quickly made decision, considering the sort of I would have thought it was a bit of an ethical dilemma, really, because um, these people are going to be like shocked and horrified and yeah. who knows what else, traumatized if everyone they know is dead, you know. Um, but on the other hand, she does say, what's the alternative? We leave them for another 400 years, um, <laughs> which is a good point. <laughs> and, and interestingly, she tries to soften their land, or I don't know if it's her or uh, someone else who tries to soften their landing by saying there should only be humans present when they're awake. Uh, but they then decide that Kez can be disguised as a human. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, that was also something I noticed. Uh, and Kez does look pretty human to me. She does. <laughs> although in a later scene, she seems very uncomfortable when her ears are exposed. Um, but anyway, let's carry on. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so they have to wake up the aliens, sim- the aliens, sorry, these humans hmm. simultaneously because they're all connected, I think, through this cryostasis hmm. chamber. Um and obviously there's a bit of a furore. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that word, but for some reason that's what came to me. Um, and they all... Furore. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I thought it was furore. A furore, that's <laughs> better, yes. As I said, I don't know how to pronounce it. People don't take it well. Um, so, yeah, they, I, one of the first things that happens is that they introduce the concept of the universal translator, which I thought was kind of funny because... Mm. Any, like, you know, there's people that watch shows that they're trying to, like, catch mistakes or, like, mm. um, things that are out of sequence. And you can imagine people watching this being like, how can they all understand each other? <laughs> so they just quickly got that out the way, being like, one of the um, reawakened humans is like, wait, you sound I like... I still think there's, there's a plot link that's missing here. Because I can understand how they can understand the modern, you know, the crew of Voyager. I understand how the Americans... Can understand them. I can understand how the Japanese can understand the crew of Voyager. What I can't understand is how the Japanese chap can understand the American chaps and chapesses who don't have a universal translator and are from his time period. Oh, I assume they gave everyone universal translators. Uh, do they? Because they no, literally they take do... them out and start talking to them. <laughs> they don't actually... When do they give them the translators, Natalie? <laughs> when do they give them the translators? This is something that... I was... found a hole! Sorry, too much enthusiasm here. But do we know that the translator is an actual physical device that is placed on everyone? Oh, good point. I had to pick a hole in my hole. I'm really (laughs) grumpy about this. It's a a good question. Good point. Um, So Janeway is trying to explain to them, like, her theory that they were abducted by aliens and put into the deep sleep because the year Mm. now is 2371. I did make a note of that, even though these dates normally fly past me. Me. Mm. Uh, and Jamie asks Amelia Earhart to describe the last thing she remembers, which sounds very much like an alien abduction <laughs> to me. And again, Bright light. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Plane froze still the air. Um, and again, I'll just mention that for some reason as a child, I was very afraid of being abducted by aliens. Aww. But this was obviously not something that affected you guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay. I've, I've never been abducted, so it doesn't affect <laughs> me emotionally. I was never abducted. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that I was able to imply you were. I'm so sorry. 
<laughs> I don't know if I should lean into it and go, Red, it's okay, you don't need to deny this. Um, but anyway. Um, no, well, we yeah, cannot confirm agree. or deny the rumour that one of our podcasts has been abducted by aliens. <laughs> um, I can do some marketing in a outer space <laughs> on our podcast. I get abducted. Um, and anyway, all this is a bit too much for everyone, I think. And uh, Fred Noonan, Amelia's Earhart, Amelia Earhart's navigator, basically tries to take the away he pulls team. a gun. Yeah. And, um, and no, he's, doing, he's doing well, though, because he pulls the gun, points it in Janeway's face, and manages to get an entire uh, Star Trek crew of security goons to put their guns down and let their skipper get taken hostage, which I'm impressed by. I'm I'm thinking someone who's making a case for star player right there. <laughs> um, kind of at the same time, Chakotay, like, I never know what to say. Uh, I don't know how to describe when, like, he beams in, he messages in, he... Uh, comes in. Comes in. Um, to say... So he he can hear what's happening. So they, they realize that uh, this uh, Janeway's away team's in trouble. Uh, but he also tells them, tells Janeway that they detected alien life forms. Uh, so mm. that's like another piece of the puzzle that we get. Mm. Um, but also we realize that Tuvok is going to lead a rescue a security team to kind of go to the aid of the now. Um, that he is. That he is. Uh, other away team. So during this time, Janeway is still trying to persuade these newly awakened humans, like, you know, like, I guess the truth um, and their theory. Mm. And... Um, I did like her one line that she, oh, which I didn't even write down properly, but she kind of starts her argument, which was there was a time when no one believed that women could fly across the Atlantic and now people fly across the stars or from star to star. Which, and you um, sort of see Amelia's face perk up a little bit like, oh, I might be interested by this version of reality they're selling. Yeah. Then um, Janeway tries to use Kez as an example of the alien, just with her little ears, but that's not very convincing. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, an excellent response from Amelia. I think because I'd be super sceptical as well if I was in their position. I'd say, but well, you could, one, though, yeah, I've seen all kinds of strange things that humans do to their bodies. That doesn't mean she's an alien. It's a good point. Mm. That's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, I, am I the only one who thinks Kez is really uncomfortable when her ears are exposed? I can see it on my head, that scene, actually, but I think I was busy taking notes. But she kind of looked physically mm. uncomfortable. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It's just, I didn't okay. notice. I didn't yeah. notice anything, but I, I, I may have missed it. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. There's there's an edge there. Um, anyway, let's crack on. No, I mean, I'm sure there was. But as I said, sometimes these things go over my head because I'm looking at my screen. Mm. Um, I've, just one more interesting point, which was that uh, Harry Kim was, explains that uh, we learned that Mars was colonized by people from Earth in 2103. So, mm. do you think Elon Musk is going to do it before 2103? <laughs> or oh, is he going to be dead when Mars is finally colonized and then he's going to be. Oh, we can but hope. We really can but okay, hope. I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> Strike that from the record. Yeah. yeah um, I didn't mean that. Navigator is really not getting on board with any of these arguments, but later Janeway tries to get Amelia Earhart on her own, um, and she uses this classic uh, negotiation techniques, flattery. <laughs> but I think she's being she's being um, honest here and transparent. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I think she says something like, "You've always been an inspiration to me," 
and explains that she's now a captain of a starship and how Amelia Earhart probably inspired thousands of captains, uh, I think. Mm. Um, and then I then Janeway's like, do you want to know what happened after you disappeared? And we find out that one of the theories is that Amelia Earhart was taken prisoner by the Japanese for trying to spy on Japanese-occupied land or islands, which is like, was a very new theory to me. <laughs> it was to me as well. I didn't know that was one of the theories. And yeah, and then and then she backs it up with like historically what happened because in I don't know how many years after that's when um, Pearl Harbor was attacked. And, and I was mm. like, wow, this uh, this makes a lot of logical sense. Who knew? <laughs> I was like, this is a lot of creative license, and they are like. <laughs> yeah. And then I did some googling, and I was like, okay, they that is being proposed as a theory, and then it's as far as I got. <laughs> 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 too much further, but I was like. Oh my god, I've never heard that. That was clever clever the way they weaved that in though. But then the people who had the Siri folks thought least likely thought she'd been abducted by aliens. Yes. Dot dot dot. Which (laughs) turned out to be true. Um but I think uh, Emilia's uh, Emilia Hart says something like, "Oh, no one. How did? How do you know? No one was supposed to know that about this Japanese connection." So that convinces her that Janeway's not just talking complete nonsense. Mm, yeah. she, she says it's part of history now. It's common knowledge. Yes. Yeah, and I was like, creative lessons, but okay. <laughs> it was clearly See, not I common knowledge. Part I didn't know. Yeah, history class. A lot of stuff got declassified lately. But maybe it will be common knowledge back, you know, in the year oh, that true. they're in. Yeah. <laughs> um, very good point. So uh, the scene just, this act just wraps up with, I guess, this short scene with Tuvok and Chakotay and it, trying to undertake this rescue mission uh, mm. I guess to get to outside this mine or whatever but they get pinned down by open fire, all these aliens well, these things dressed in these mm. grey outfits start firing on this um, security team and they get pinned down So um, yeah. It's can... like Dune vibe to their outfit as well um, Can't see anything of their faces or their bodies No, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Also quite an inept ambush I thought well, yes, the rescue team needs rescuing, but um... <laughs> quite an inept rescue attempt as yeah, well. I yes, think, I think it's the failure but of the rescue no team. One covers themselves in glory this scene. Let's let's leave it at that. <laughs> this isn't about blaming people or finding, you know, scapegoats. This is uh, this is about finding <laughs> solution and possibly signing up the uh, signing up the rescue and away team to. Uh, I don't know, reassignation of duties as maybe the uh, the toilet cleaning team might be in order. <laughs> I think it's a big emotion. Yeah. When you when you think about it, it actually is pretty inept on all parties because <laughs> as we find out, you know, in the next Shortly. few minutes that um no one really knows what they're doing in this oh. scene. Because <laughs> uh, I, I mean I can carry on if you like, Red. No, carry on, sorry, you just yeah, yeah. a little bit. But I assume oh. they're still recording your side, so I just stop talking until I, I um no. Oh, that's it. I'll cross my fingers, otherwise there'll be a, a gap. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so basically, after the um, other the uh, the team leave the mine shaft and um, they're getting fired on as well, um, Janeway says she says I'm going to go around the back. Um, so uh, whilst uh, Chakotay and Tuvok provide cover by continuing to fire, she sneaks around the back um, and manages to surprise the um, what we believe are aliens. And then it turns out that really no one no one knows what they're doing. Massive incompetence because uh, the aliens <laughs> remove. Uh, well, she uh, she basically uh, they find out that Janeway is human, and uh, they are shocked, and they remove their I don't know helmets, I guess face masks, um, yeah. yes. and they they're human too. 
Um, yeah. And at that point, they agreed to stop firing on each other for no real but, reason. But boy, are they pissed <laughs> because they think that Janeway has disturbed the sanctuary of the 37 and is a Briari. Oh, not, not yet. I think that's a little bit. But they, they keep mentioning, I think this is when we first hear about the Briari because they're like, are oh, you with the Briari or the Briari guy? Yeah. So, um, uh, <sighs> yeah. So, something I should have maybe said is that at the end of the last, uh, like, kind of when they're still in the cryo chambers, Janeway mm. manages to convince the um, the 37s or the newly awakened humans that the best way they can prove their theory to them is taking them to Voyager. And that's why they were kind of on their way out and got involved in this skirmish um, mm. in which uh, the navigator got injured. So we see, I just want to discuss this little scene in Sick Bay where he declares his love for me. <laughs> <laughs> The doctor promptly heals him because he thought he was on his deathbed, and he's like, "Don't oh. forget about that." And she's like, "Sure." Oh no, we can't just let this go that simply. I mean, there are so many touches of this scene that are just wonderful. I mean, he, you know, he, he he's the fact that it starts off with uh, him saying, to, uh, "Amelia, I, I think I'm a goner now," and the doctor says, "Oh, I wouldn't be so sure about that," and uh, he goes, "Why?" And he try uh, the doctor tries to heal him, and then says. Oh, uh, the amount of alcohol in your system is inhibiting our healing tool. <laughs> and then he declares his love, thinking he's going to die. And then the doctor says, okay, you're fine now. <laughs> Which Mr. Noonan goes, let's forget it all. I ever said this. And uh, Amelia says, I already have. <laughs> yeah, very, quite humorous. But again, uh, just uh, I guess we find out that this Noonan guy was an alcoholic. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that's historically accurate or not. Um, yeah. But uh, can we keep them yawning to a minimum? <laughs> so, I'm so sorry. It's oh, it's my first day or day or few weeks in a new job, and I'm absolutely shattered. Sorry about it. No worries. Um, so now maybe now we're getting into the interesting stuff because now yes. we're in the briefing room, and um, yeah, Janeway is kind of finding out from this guy, which she calls Mister Evansville. Um, so what, that's according to Wikipedia, and from what I could pick up. Kind of we get a history of this this human why these humans are on this planet. So who wants to mm. tackle this this history? Go Jenny. I'll try. I'm gonna try. Um apologies in advance if I get it all wrong. Um so uh these people who um they thought were aliens dressed in the June suits who were in fact humans explain that um they arrived there as descendants of the humans that were abducted by the Biori in 1937 i don't remember that i'm just reading red's excellent notes um, so thank you red <laughs> oh, <laughs> yep um and then obviously janeway is keen to know you know uh, what about the ship that the Biori brought you here and you know is it still here can we use it to get home um yes. but unfortunately that was um destroyed when um basically the Biori were using the humans they abducted as slaves um and the slaves uh, rose up yes the slaves rose up um and that was when uh they they took over and the briori left and never came back but also their ship was destroyed unfortunately um so there's no way um for them to get home using it um yeah. and then they talk a little bit about the 37s i believe um which is what the um humans that that inhabit the planet uh call um the the humans that were in the uh, cryostasis units um there were 37 of them originally um i think and uh the ones that are left are the ones that were left frozen but the other ones unfroze and that's what populated the planet into into three glorious cities um he says mm. um and then you know they all make friends and they say come and visit our city yeah. <laughs> life on our planet is 
good. It's he good. he emphasizes really, really strongly. Yeah, um, he's really enthusiastic. I sort of enjoy. We've got three incredible cities. Um, I, I, I sort of love that moment. Yeah. He's very proud, yeah. isn't he? Very, very proud of what they've um, achieved. Uh, in, mm. You know, overthrowing the brewery, building a. Um, what we uh, Janeway mentions later is um, uh, similar so, to what they've built on Earth in that it's a society free of war and poverty, which you yeah. know, makes me a little bit sad about what we've yes. done in real life with Earth. I was like, <laughs> could, I, could I be watching this episode and I'm more in opportune time? <laughs> yeah, could I be? Yeah. In? Could I? Could I just live in this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, t- I couldn't agree more. But then, but then you we. We move to Janeway on her own, looking contemplatively out a window where she's. Oh, sorry. Oh, I just different. want to quickly jump in there because we do. We never actually see these beautiful cities, sadly. Yeah. In the oh. online reviews of this episode, there's a lot of discussion about I agree. That. I would have liked to see them. Just some kind of artistic <laughs> rendering. Um, but before we get to Captain's Ready Room, we just, I think the, the scene you already mentioned earlier, but we have the scene between Tom Paris and Amelia Earhart, which was quite nice because they're two pilots and they both basically discussing like how fast can you go <laughs> like mm. that's showing that innate pilot personality i guess that they have in common mm. um and maybe that's when he did that conversion jenny i can't remember but um it is yeah yeah, yeah. and she's um, very excited about how fast yeah. the starship can go i just thought it was a nice um moment mm. of two people with a lot in common like you know nerding out on <laughs> stuff um <laughs> yes jamie then we in this we have a scene in the captain's ready room well, yeah, and and it it's a very. I find this actually one of the most emotional scenes on Voyager that I I've sort of seen, uh, because it starts with the captain looking out at the window contemplatively and really sadly, and she's joined by Chikoshi, and they start to talk and um, comment on their experiences, and it transpires that the captain is wondering whether she should give crew the choice to stay and in a real conflict betwixt between herself of whether she should order them to stay whether she should give them the chance to stay whether she should order them to go and she's she talks herself in circles saying i can't give the crew a vote on every major decision but they would be at home here you know these three wonderful sissies and then she eventually sort of frustratedly decides she's going to give the crew the choice um and tells the crew that there'll be a major announcement uh, at 1400 hours, I think it is, in which she informs the crew of the situation, says anyone who wants to stay, meet her in the cargo bay. She doesn't say for what, which may explain the last scene, alternative interpretations coming, but she does say so. And then we we move to... Well, I think let's pause there because there's a lot to discuss in that scene. And, mm. and also a hand has flown up in a Star Trek symbol salute. The next scene is in Act Five, so let's let's focus on Act Four. So, Jenny, yeah, I think this is probably one of your more interesting scenes. Yeah, I feel like it gets really interesting from this point on because it's a bit more mm. of a, um, uh, I guess, moral mm. conundrum. Um, if if it's a risky decision she makes, but it's a difficult choice because mm. it's possible that um, enough of the crew will want to stay. Um, and you know, it's totally understandable they would. They, they don't know how long it's going to take to get home. Their current estimate is the rest of their lives. They'd probably be dead by the time the crew reaches home. So they'll either live their entire lives on this starship of 152 people, or they've got this um, planet full of humans, beautiful, glorious cities, 100,000 people. Um, But the risk, of course, is that if more than a certain amount choose to stay, then the decision has been made Mm. for the remaining crew members who cannot 
pilot mm. the ship alone. Um, although now I think that now it occurs to me that maybe there'd be people on the planet who wanted an adventure and <laughs> choose to come. Although, I mean, mm. if they're committing to an entire life in in space. I'm going back to Earth now. It's a big, yeah, it's a big decision. Um, and yeah, I was really surprised actually that she gave them the choice in the end. But um, then again, she's going to have to. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, her final line, I think, in that scene is they deserve to make the choice for themselves, which mm. uh, seems risky, but I think is the right decision. Um, it's weird, though, because it's almost like it could be actually taking the choice away mm. from. Yes, I think if that was the outcome, they would have to do another referendum. (laughs) Oh no, Red, you didn't. As a step, as a step one, I think it was the right choice, the right decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she could have phrased it like, "Look, first of all, let's see how many of you actually want to stay, and then, (laughs) and then we'll decide what we do." (laughs) (laughs) I guess you can't do that, can you? Um, But it's it's an interesting conversation to her and Chakotay as well of. Well, how many crew do we have? Okay, 150. How many do we re- realistically think we could run the ship with? A hundred minimum? And, and so you realise that the risk is even greater than we think because not only does she risk losing the crew members, but she also risks losing the ability of those who wanted to continue searching for a way home to find a way home. Yes, I think Jenny did cover that. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie, for covering it again. Oh, God, sorry. Um... Uh, That's what we've been talking about the last five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you could just tune in to our podcast. It's called Jamie's. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, it's, a new... <laughs> it's the new job, the new job. We're, we're letting I'm it sorry. go. I'm absolutely exhausted. Um, so, yes, yeah. taking us into the final scene. I'm wondering if we could do this episode in 10 minutes. I mean, in the remaining 10 minutes, we did an hour, but maybe that's a silly goal. But um, as you said, Jamie, in the kind of final act, everyone knows that they need to make this call, they may need to make this decision. So, there's these conversations conversations happening around the ship and the first conversation mm. we see is actually with the 37s the remaining 37s mm. in the mess hall with neelix who's being a very hospitable host i love the way he had prepared some gel o for the americans <laughs> including uh, and replicated some ginger for um the japanese 37 he and does they- manage to do a bit of self-delusion though because i hear him telling someone that uh, the captain relies on him heavily well, yes, I was going to say, um, the 37s are discussing whether to stay or go, and Helix is like, I'm definitely not leaving for the reasons that you just uh, gave, but yes. Um, and then we also see Balana Torres and Harry Kim discussing. And I didn't make too many notes about this, but it was almost like in their attempt to understand, be understanding of people that might want to leave, they kind of assumed the other person wanted to leave. And we're like yes. kind of getting a bit worked up. It's, yeah. <laughs> so. it's a proof of the others saying, you want to leave. No, you want to but leave. It's like, I can understand why someone will leave. You want to leave? Are you leaving? <laughs> Those are two different sentences. Um, so um, I think Balana is shocked that Harry would even consider staying because he's been such a like, yes. I want to get home kind of guy. And he's got his, he's quite yeah. young. His, his parents are still alive and they'll be waiting yeah. for him and things. And, but even he is considering it. He does say considering it. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, then we have a scene on the planet's surface with the Janeway and Amelia Earhart, who's re- like reveals to Janeway that she and the rest of the 37s have decided to stay. And basically because they related to the other inhabitants on this planet, which seems 
Fair enough. I mean, that, uh, probably a couple of other things. And this is the moment where they have that line, Jenny, that you brought up. Like these two parallel civilizations developed a world you can be proud of. One where war and poverty simply don't exist. We're not there yet. But anyway. Mm. Um, and as you said, at this point, it's, we find out that those who want to, oh, I said stay, I meant leave, must be in the cargo bay in 30 minutes' time. Mm. And I, um, I really love this bit. Actually, yeah, I think, go for it. I, think um, mm-hmm. I really like um, Katie Mulgrew's acting in it. Oh, yeah. yes, there's some of me. It's really emotional, I thought. Yeah, so she's she's walking down the corridor um, with Chicote, um, and they're discussing who they think will stay and who will leave, and they both have an idea about, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I think this person might might leave, you know, he's he's got a partner and they want to settle down, and, you know, there's, um, you know, they each have their ideas, basically. Um, and then it basically ends with them saying, well, I don't really want either of them to leave. I want no one to leave, you know. Um, and you can tell mm. that they're getting quite a, quite worked up, ready, preparing mm. themselves for the cargo bay doors to open. And, you know, who knows, maybe the entire crew will be there. Maybe even five people will be there, but that will be sad to them because they want everyone to stay. Um, mm. And uh, I just think it's really well acted, the sort of suspense. Mm. And then the cargo bay doors open and we there's a great camera angle going on, like, she as you as they walk through the cargo bay doors first you only see Janeway's face and then it and then it revolves around to see the cargo bay itself and it is in fact mm. empty oh. <laughs> and, um, then, yeah and then the, and then my favorite bit of um, the acting of this the episode actually is is the look on uh, Katie Mulgrew's face I think is really well acted because oh, it's amazing it's, mm. I like well yeah. up when I saw her face yeah mm. it's emotional but she's like trying to contain the emotion because you know she's the captain um but she's obviously really affected I think she just man, you know acts those facial expressions really well mm. I felt like I could really relate normally you can relate if you've been through something similar but then I was like I've never been <laughs> yeah. people had to decide I mean maybe on a smaller scale like so I was like no I haven't experienced anything that like in my life but her expression was just mm. so good that uh, I felt yeah, it. Yeah, I know what you it mean. Just, yeah. It, it felt like someone realising that those who are closest to them are there for them. Yeah, I think that's it. That's what's related to it, is when you are surprised by something, because some people in your life have suddenly, surprisingly showed um, that they care or loyalty or something of that ilk, and it's such a lovely mm. feeling, even more so, I think, when it's a surprise. Um, you mm. think, oh, I, you know, I hadn't uh, affected this person or these people's lives that much or been that close to them, mm. but they obviously did uh, have some faith or loyalty in me and um, it's, that's a lovely feeling. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so well acted. Um, Wonderfully acted. And then I think there's also, I mean, I just summarised it as the ship lifts off, watched by the 37s who decided to stay and the crew resumes their quest to return home. But actually... We do have that scene in the bridge where um, I think two, there's two or someone say captain on the bridge, Janeway enters. Mm. He has like this eye contact with each member of the crew and it's like this very kind of special or Point emotional it. moment. It's a bond moment. Mm. Um, and then they, they're off again on the way back to the Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> um, but yeah. Really, there's a lot of no emotion and then a lot of emotion. Yeah, it's all at the end, isn't it? It's all squeezed in, high emotion at the end. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about the themes. Does anyone want to have a go at themes? I did think about that during it. And my thoughts were, I'm strugg
I'm sure they're really obvious, and I just am um, having a... The crew being a family? Ah, yes. Yeah. I think people, mm. yeah, there's probably Historical a theme. roots? Mm, historical roots. Uh, I, this, this isn't a theme, but this is something I'm just... I would want to know an awful lot more about the Briori. Mm. Like, they abducted a bunch of people, bred a civilization, then got overthrown by them, and then ran away. Who the hell were they? Why are they abducting humans to the uh, to a completely different quadrant? It could have been fun if we'd met them again, like we meet some other aliens. Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, vengeful, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, theme. Yeah, I think the theme of like maybe it's like uh, well, it's not an even chosen family because they, these people did not choose to be. Mm. <laughs> maybe home. In, in this, yeah, yeah. I do notice in the last sort of couple of episodes, they, this episode and the last episode uh, of the previous series, they were at pains to emphasise things that bonded the crew together. So first of all, it was the Marquis and the Starfleet crew members, and this time it was all just the crew into a, a cohesive whole. Hmm. And um, yeah, I just noticed that continuation. Yes, I guess no. it's just like a recommitment to each other and a kind of bonding moment, even though it wasn't like a mm. suffering bonding moment. <laughs> like um, yeah. they are more closer for deciding to stay together. Mm. In times uh, tough and times not so tough. Yeah. So, um, star player. I think Noonan does what the entire Delta Quadrant fails to do and takes the skipper hostage. I think it's got to be him. <laughs> I think you know mine just for Janeway's last 10 minutes, I think. is fantastic, fantastic acting. Actually, I, I would like to change mine. Yeah. Uh, so we find out in this episode that the skipper relies on Neelix heavily, so it should be Neelix. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your you first choice? <laughs> My first choice was Noonan. Noonan. Okay, well, I was going to say I could take your first choice, but I don't think I can do that. <laughs> um, but I can't believe Jamie has come so far around that he's chosen Neelix, as, even if it's facetiously. Even if it was sarcastically. Oh, I wasn't being facetious. I was being sarcastic. No. And the exhaustion is making me incoherent. So, you know, put it down to that. I'm not in my right mind, Reg. You can't I hold that against I show that you voted for Neelix as your stuff. <laughs> Under duress. Um, I will go let's say I don't know maybe I'll just go for Amelia Earhart because she um, was the no I can't really come up with a good reason she just is my she failed in her spying mission yeah because she was played by Sharon Lawrence who I enjoyed watching in Rosalia Dials (laughs) not a very good reason but um, I was excited to see her on screen so I was like oh my gosh um Okay. Look, it's under one hour. It's under one hour. And it's <laughs> going to be some editing. So this could be like our shortest episode of all wow. time. I'm, I'm not going to jump in because I will ruin the hour thing. Okay. I've do already it, ruined it, enough. Just... Yeah? No, I'm done. You sure? <laughs> well, one minute, one second. Okay. I, I was going to say maybe, just maybe, it's because Jamie's tired. <laughs> oh, yes, maybe. And on that note, bye. Bye.